Hi everyone. So, okay. So here's the question for this week: If you were a publisher, what would be the first thing you publish, if only to establish your brand identity and your values? Ooh, how how uh, controversial. <laughs> Just dive right in.、Uh, I would like to publish something about how、um, rewilding ecology and transhumanism are complementary values because they involve humans taking control of themselves and potentially creating conditions of equality. I also think the Green New Deal is insufficiently radical. There, alienating our audience. Oh my God, Fiona! Because I feel so. So shallow because I literally thought the first thing I want to publish as a publisher is a makeup tutorial <laughs> with like blank sheets of faces that you can color in with makeup before you do it on your own face. <laughs> I was like, oh, if you want ecology, I want to do、hmm, cosmetics. <laughs> Look, I'm just saying I don't I don't really have middle sliders of attitude. And I don't know how to do most things, so I'm Fiona Geist, and that was my that was what I would publish. I don't really know how to be chill. Jared and Pam, I'd probably、uh, just just publish Hamlet again. You know, just <laughs> Hamlet. What is this mic drop? You know, just Hamlet. <laughs> It's gotta be public domain by now, right? I'll just. You know, I just want to let the world know, I'm an advocate for the bard. <laughs> oh my God, Jared Sinclair, bard. What about you? Oh my God, Jared Sinclair, the bard has two few listeners. <laughs> Do you、I、know think... this guy named Shakespeare? <laughs> <laughs> I think I would publish a book called #MonetizedBySpite. And it will definitely cover the entire sordid history of the geek space of the Philippines. All names, no holds barred, and I would definitely blast it everywhere. That's nothing redacted. You know, nothing redacted at all. I can't all. believe that. <laughs> I still can't believe that of 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 these answers, it's me and Jared who give the tame out. <laughs> <laughs> Let it be known. Let it be known. <laughs> Let it be known that the tamest answers came from Jared and Har. All right, everyone. Welcome to Trying to Be Kind, a podcast that tries to discuss, or tries to, or does discuss, texts that find themselves in the TTRPG space, handled under an academic lens. Once again, as always, we are now, I believe, in part three of our read of tabletop RPG design and theory and practice at the Forge, from 2001 to 2012, subtitled "Designs and Discussions" by William J. White, as published by Palgrave Macmillan. And the last time we were here, we were talking about this wonderful moment where we had just entered talking about the demographics of the Forge. And the the chapter was called "Women in the Forge," and people of color in the forge. And our last contention was that、uh, Doctor White, for all of his good intent in writing this book, doesn't quite、uh, isn't quite willing to be definitive about characterizing the forge. It's been a litany of it seemed to be, it might have been, and it could have been. <laughs> And was not very willing to 
really give some declarative statements in this well, in this chapter. So and, yeah. I think there's one declarative statement that acts as a coda for everything we're going to say in this episode. And I promise this isn't me making a joke. This is me being like, I accidentally deleted myself from parts of last episode, so I'm going to show up with things. Um, the Forge used heavy moderation to achieve its aims, but what it created was a safe space for people to focus on analysis of play and design in this serious fashion. And that's on page 44. And I think that in a lot of ways, what we've, what uh, Professor White wants to talk about is the way that this achieved, um, you know, a sort of abstract discussion, but what he doesn't maybe want to look into and I think that there's a lot of like epistemology and like history of systems and thought stuff on this is that like the person prioritized by an abstract discussion by the way that abstraction is created is predominantly white men and that isn't because they are necessarily intentionally being um you know discriminatory but rather because like the conditions of the conversation discriminate against people who can't abstract themselves. And I think that maybe that's one of the tensions of the Forge. And it's a complicated one because obviously you want to talk about theory, but I think most people would say that like if you only have white men talking about theory, you have theory for white men. I mean drop the mic. This is my entire contribution for the episode. Just started a fire and ran away. <laughs> <laughs> No, it just it just felt so hard to it just felt so hard at times to just take this seriously and I get it. There are times also that I don't even understand if this intends to be an academic work or not. Yeah. Because the the book shifts into conversations that happen in places where because when when I think academic, I think that it's been distilled into uh, into some kind of formal language where you can tell that the framework is being established more and more. And when he when he writes down uh, the dialogue between his conversations, I'm like, suddenly I'm like, wait a minute, we're having those kinds of bar slash cafe conversations, which I think are pretty good for shooting the breeze, but doesn't really talk about any kind of um, like what is your actual theory? For example, in page 55, he is speaking with, uh, with Krista at a bar at Dream Nation. Yeah. And I, I ran into one. a woman who prefers that I refer to Arian as Jane Swift. And then she said, my 32nd view of the forge was it was alienating, she told me. It was alienating, drove me off faster than anything, made me feel very unheard, told me I had no right to be designing, and made me drop off the net. And it's not just the forge, it was the culture that came out of the forge. Krista interjected that her experience with and her feelings about the forge are very similar, and Jane continued her explanation. I think... There's a strong gender line that supports. I think not every obvious, obviously hashtag not all women felt that way, but because we don't all feel the same way about everything, but I feel like anybody who is new and, exp and explorative and came in and got the quote, we are sons of academia, pushing academia things, and you have to subscribe to a dialect of language and orthodoxy to be able to participate here, felt really alienated from the environment. And I feel like we're still unraveling that orthodoxy for a lot of people. And I think a lot of the people who stared or who started in it at the very beginning did very well in it, but any orthodoxy will support its current base. And then he goes, any, any, any orthodoxy 
will support its current base. I didn't quite hear her. The bar was loud. And I'm like, okay. Uh, Jane then continues to explain, like, what's been going on in the forge. But the way he presents it, I'm like, wait a minute. Now you go into this very conversational tone of one person's testimonial in the forge. But then prior to that, you're making all of these efforts to give charts. And you're trying on later on to explain what was actually going on there. And I kind of just feel like um, you have to choose. You're going to have to choose how you present this data in a consistent manner. You're going to have to explain what's going on because why is it that conversations which uh, do expose what the forge was like, at least from a gendered perspective and how the culture worked, are, you know, they're no longer within that strong academic milieu that you'd initially presented things in. And now it's a conversation. I, I'm like, I kind of find that a little bit weird and just undermines the whole notion that you were speaking with formalism at the beginning or formally at the beginning. Sorry, now that's my contribution. <laughs> Pam, Jared, you're up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I was going to point out um, that it's it's kind of telling, I think, that the the sort of extended quote that Fiona made a moment ago from page 44 just sort of drops the phrase safe space without really giving that like a target, you know, like a safe space for whom is always the question. And it just sort of says for people who want to do this kind of discussion and elides that, you know, and I think that's very tied up in the rhetorical structure of this book writ broadly, which also sort of you're pointing to Mahar. Yeah, it's just like, it's all about a refutation of what goes on. And I'm just kind of like, you need to, we, I, how do I put this? I think, I think we need to be consistent in how we talk about our, you know, our research. And I think we need to be consistent about how we explain what's actually been going on. And the thing is, what I find rather problematic is there is no admission that how I wrote this reflects my background. I think it's always going to be a problem when any writer does not explain their background and possible bias into the work. Yeah, um, because the, the, lack of, the lack of contextualization doesn't give anybody anything to work on, which was another... It is, by my assessment, something that current spaces continue to perpetuate whether they are aware of the forge or not because what I at least find ironic and I'm pretty sure that the author did not intend it to come out that way but we've all been seeing the same thing right you're you're trying to establish or rather the doctor is trying to establish that this space has relevance it is important but he also says that I'm going to prove it to you critically, but I'm here going, I'm not seeing the critical rigor here. And I'm seeing a lot of things that seem to have been taken out of context. Like, I think I mentioned that last episode where some quotes almost feel like they were put there so that he could refute it in a really weird way. Uh, So that feels inadvertently academically dishonest to me. So... Uh, what what exactly are you trying to say here? And then, of course, like um, speaking as like the two, the one person in the room right now who matches like both demographics, uh, uh, woman and queer, like right now. Uh, 
are you're telling me as a white man that the forge i guess ha- represented us maybe perhaps like that that's like the entire tone of of the book and i'm like okay um where where are we going with this cuz i'm not I'm not understanding it. No, I, I think that there's actually an interesting quote kind of tying all these together because I haven't read this for a while, so I'm kind of like flipping through and being like, what did I highlight? And there's a bit where Mike Holmes, who I don't know, um, and he has an extended quote, and I think this quote is what I would pull apart for, um, you know, uh, for like kind of describing this safe space for who and like these Elijahs, right? Is um you know, uh, sounds like standard deconstructionist talk. I'm willing to admit that the site has an English-speaking, even American bias, and further is biased toward those willing to, quote, subjugate themselves to the, quote, tyranny of our specific jargon. Hell, it's probably even, quote, male-oriented, end quote, and white, quote. Guess it's good to be at a white American male, then, who speaks GNS fluently. And it's like, look, that's actually, like, ditto to like a Roland Barthes thing where when he won one of the awards, he's like, it's great to be a straight right male Catholic. And it's like, you know, for him, you know, most of those weren't true. Um, you know, that the only thing that was true was that he was white and, you know, it was to highlight things. This is the seventies, but like, you know, I think, but you know, like Holmes kind of point is like, these are all true, you know? And like, what does that mean? You know, what does it mean about the language? What does it mean about the participants? What does it mean about blind spots? And I think that's fruitful. Like, it, it, you know, like what I feel like is a stronger support of the Forge is basically taking maybe a little bit less snide in the tone that I'm reading. I'm trying to be kind and just assume that this is maybe a little exasperated, but whatever, you know, like really taking that quote and picking it apart because you can say like look the forge was a place where largely white heterosexual cis men from the united states gathered and there was still something important and then this is what we can do with it to make it a broader concept and this just doesn't feel like that work and i'm sorry i'm being really wordy um but yeah that so this leads us to a section which i found still resonates today and um it's actually heavily quoted from another podcast. Uh, I mean, the book heavily quotes from a podcast. And I just felt, oh, my God. Uh, we, I think we literally had this conversation two weeks ago. So page 60, People of Color at the Forge. Leonard Balsera, who is Latino Heritage, told me that he thought that an exclusionary dynamic at the Forge included race as well as gender. He thought that women of color in particular, who were trying to have an opinion, in quotes, were met with suspicion, which would manifest itself in negging, mansplaining, or whitesplaining, gaslighting, and similar tactics. In the next paragraph, Julia Bond Ellingbos' experience as an African-American Muslim woman game designer illustrates how these disparities play out. In the podcast interview with Alex Roberts, Julia discussed the reception of Steel Boy Jordan by Stone Baby Games in 2006, her game in the vein of neo-slave narratives like Margaret Walker's Jubilee, Toni Morrison's Beloved, and Octavia Butler's Kindred, in which players tell the collective stories of enslaved people during the United States antebellum period. Now, here, Julia, selected quotes. And so when I started first writing games... That was where I had this contact with this sort of toxic maleness on occasion. I don't think I got it all that bad, but there were, there were moments. 
And even around things like race, I just remember there was always like, are you kidding me? You're telling me I don't know myself? Wow, okay. I don't, well, I don't know. How are you any more of an expert than I am in this realm? And you know, I have a perspective that I feel is valuable. So I think I went into anything that I endeavor with this area that I had something to contribute. And damn it, you're going to fucking listen to me. Now, here is where it gets rather spicy, I think. It's important. I think that there's a very kind of knee-jerk response to women in games saying stuff, right from people who have been here for a long time or whatever. They want to find a reason for you not to be saying that. They want to find a reason for you to be silent. Maybe they don't consider themselves bigoted enough to say that it's because you're a woman, but they'll come up with lots of other reasons, right? It can be because you're not experienced enough, or you haven't played the right kinds of games, or you haven't designed before, or you haven't played the same kinds of games as they have, or whatever. But it's always kind of in the same tone of voice, isn't it? It also takes on the race. Yes, the race thing. So I do remember when I put out, put out an idea in the forge. I want to write a game about slavery and that a couple of very nice people say sort of question my authority. I guess my qualifications to write a game about slaves in the antebellum south. And maybe it's not enough to say, well, I'm a descendant of slaves, but okay. Then how about I grew up in a house with a history professor, with an African-American history professor, so our bookshelves are full of books around slavery, and it was something that we talked about in a historical context. In fact, my mom flew out. My mom is a history professor. My mom flew out to visit and gave me a crash course in basically slaves and antebellum sociology and history, a little bit of anthropology, and just a bit of cultural history. So sure, maybe I'm not qualified, because I don't know. I don't know why I wouldn't be qualified. Why is anybody? Why is some dude qualified to write a game about elves and orcs? So That's spicy. And I'm just like, <laughs> and I'm like, okay. Like it continues on to talk about how uh, the author went into the archive and tried to look for the earliest post about Steelway Jordan. In fact, he goes on to say, the earliest post on the forge that I can find about Steal Away Jordan seems deferential. Seems deferential. To the authority of the designer. And I'm like... Oh, and that's the first sentence after that extended block quote, too. Yeah. Like, immediately. Yeah, right. That's, I'm like, okay. Like, I'm so, sorry, not hmm. sorry. That's mansplaining. Did that's you, also, like, write, like, like... This literally is this woman's words in mm-hmm. which it invalidates the expression right away yeah exactly and that's the thing uh the author inadvertently perhaps does that almost every single time something is quoted so uh as a reader i'm in a perpetual state of confusion on what i'm supposed to take from this is this truly an academic treatise that is explaining a space of which i had no access to therefore i want to know more or is this a is this a love note? Like I think um, I'll constantly have to bring that up in as trying to be kind as in as nicest way as possible because I do want to learn more about these spaces. It's a it's both an academic exercise for me and it's also personal because I am designing in the space now, and previous events, previous spaces inform our spaces because we carry those cultural norm- norms and those assumptions and those habits wherever we go. So it's good to know the root causes of these things. But unfortunately, the root causes I'm seeing right now from people who come from the space uh, of the Forge, as illustrated by this book, they they don't tend to be palatable. And that's, I guess, as graceful 
of way as I could put it, uh, right? Um, <laughs> I had to struggle there, but you heard that, right? <laughs> I mean, let's let's just look at how the struggle continues, right, Pam? So let's continue with this quote, which I really think is where we see quite a bit of the maybe unintentional revelation of one's missing some of the point. So here. In it, Seth Ben Ezra wonders at the purpose of including a folk magic wielding root doctor, quote unquote, character type in the game, but qualifies his question by referring to his ignorance of the times. Here we go. Jared Sorensen recalls offering criticism of Steelway Jordan to Julia after playing a demo of it at Gen Con, but his focus is on the game mechanics. I remember thinking, okay, this is going to be hard to crit critique because of the subject matter, he said. I told her, the great mechanic in this game is that the GM gets to choose your character's name. That's awesome. It's very evocative. It's thematic. It makes sense. It's historical. It's good. But the rest of the game struck him as a little bit underdeveloped. He asked her, what's the point? What are you trying to do? And she's like, well, I'm trying to illustrate the horrors of slavery. I'm like, okay, yes, it does that. But you could easily do that just by telling me, okay, imagine you're a character named this, and this is what happens to you because that was the game was. And I'm like... What is this? <laughs> Number one, it assumes like it, it assumes three things. First, it assumes that games were written for you, for you, <laughs> right? So there are certain games I think, especially with like many lyric games going on right now, and that def the definition of lyric game is highly contested. I think people want to like own the definition, and I'm not going to enter that debate. But the, I think many people write games, not necessarily for other people. So mm -hmm. that's already like number one. I don't know how that conversation happened, but for me, it's just like, uh, mm. uh, number two, it's also like, it's a great mechanic. It feels historical, but you can just tell people. And I'm like, can you? That's very white to me. Yeah, what? That's, Can that's, you, that's, you just yeah, tell people things? Like, like, do you walk up like you're <laughs> right? and tell people slavery fucking existed? Like, is that what this dude does in his spare fucking time? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, I'm being unkind. Let me, let me say that this is just me being exaggerated and etc. But, right, like, I... Yeah, I feel very similarly about this particular quote. <laughs> Sorry. You know, I'm just like, really, really like, hmm, there's a difference between writing it into the rules versus just tell the person that they're, this is how it is. I'm like, wait a minute. Like, what? I'm like, what? And then, and then the, the author, then this is the last paragraph. I'm like, I feel like, you know, like, oh my goodness. My goodness. Because it's just because it's just like, it, it's it's well, Mahar's my goodness and my PR wait, laugh. That's this podcast. Wait, actually, okay, I actually just thought of something. Sorry, <laughs> but like that's a commercial consideration. Like the concept of like this might not have a broad audience is entirely fucking commercial. Like right, like which is such a weird thing given the Forge's emphasis on independence, right? Like I don't know. Like I just feel the need to yell like at the state in the temple. Like you know. Um, this is this is commercialism. Yeah. This is saying what like an audience might not yeah. like this or might find this uncomfortable, and therefore it's not as 
valid of the use of your time. Feels like an underlying message to okay, that. So to this me. is my the my goodness part. Uh, I, Fiona, I completely agree. But what you're saying compounds with this. Because, and I and keep in mind, deeply respect and love this person. We have heaped praises on this person. But this is where, however, Paul Sagat told me, the true energy and joy of the Forge are not represented by a focus on the demographics of participation at the discussion site, particularly in the, dis- the theory discussions, but instead lie elsewhere. The areas where the forage has had a profound legacy have a different demographic than the theory conversations, he tells me. A more inclusive one. The demographics of the people who shop at the forage booth at Gen Con and played its games at Games on Demand on or during after-hours gaming at the embassy suites there who participated in the pitch culture that emerged in the forage booth demos and continued at small regional gaming conventions with names like Champ, uh, Camp Nerdly or Go Play Northwest, and those who designed games for game competitions like the ongoing and increasing international Game Chef contest were not all white male designer dudes, he explained, but it is exactly these things that have continued long after the end of the forage. To which I will go. I am not going to look at Paul's quote here as something that, because I don't know if what this is what what Paul's intention was in saying this. Saying this, it feels to me more like, um, are you are you saying that people's experiences don't really matter <laughs> in because that's not where the true energy was? Like, oh, you know, the forge could have had a bad discussion site. But really, the real good part was when we went into these other parts. <laughs> I'm like, you can't, you can't have it both ways. You need to be holistic about it. Because like Gen Con, Games on Demand, so on and so, these are access issues. Mm. And I, yeah. it's like, what are you, what are you doing? Also, <laughs> just... the, the feedback loop. It's ignoring the feedback loop. That group still created those experiences. So if they created those experiences uncritically, whether with the best intent or not, and they did not have their eye on demographics that, as you put it, would not have access to these things, then are you not again perpetuating some of the deep-seated issues that could come out? And now you're not just doing it in the online space, you're doing it in physical spaces. So the speaking from a position of somebody who has her hand in a lot of community development and creating spaces. When you move to a physical realm with, with particular biases and particular blind spots, the, the propensity for possible harm and a feeling of, of being unsafe could escalate rather quickly. It can already be very bad and permanently damaging on a digital space. What more in a physical one, right? So it, it's, uh, I don't want to, again, like, as, like Mahar, I don't want to, again, assume what the intent was for that quote, but uh, I don't really find that, I don't, I don't find that good. Being I, just, nice I don't it. find it reassuring to At be all. told there was another place which was better. You just weren't yeah. able to go there. Yeah. And I'm like, how will I be able to get there? Yeah. That that's my question. 
well, we I think Mahari, you and I know the answer that we get that we work our butts off. Or we um, beg or people are, beg or and, people feel yeah. like we're worth investing in. And yeah, then... we beg, we cry, we fill our suitcases full of games and we fly halfway across the world to a single convention where we continue mm. to uh, rustle down every person that we meet for attention. Where we were asked, why haven't you come here sooner? Yeah, multiple times. And I'm like... Uh... <laughs> And I'm like, you know, the only reason why we're here is because of like the good nature of others who raised money for us. Yes. There was no way that we could afford this otherwise. And I'd like to add, again, being kind, the people who raised that money, uh, they understood the access difficulty. Mm. They didn't say they didn't say what a lot of this book is inadvertently saying. They knew that without the uh, without providing the missing step, we would not be there. So they put their money where their mouth was so that we could have a taste of the experiences that spaces like The Forge uh, used to talk about a lot and form for themselves. I'm just, I don't know where to be more offended. Like, <laughs> like, like this, is, this, is, this, is, this is really personal. Honestly, yes. this is quite yes. personal for us. And then... Yes. And then, and then I'm just kind of like, look, I'm like to the world. I am. I'm male presenting. Pam knows that I've had issues with pronouns. Like I keep on. Like I've had the bouts of dysphoria and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that said, because I present male, I do have male privilege, right? Mm-hmm. And and then at, but at the same time, I'm just kind of like. What if my voice sounded female to these people? Like my mm-hmm. writing voice, right? How would what that if, change things? Yeah. How would that have changed things? Yeah. What if my avatar is like all feathers, wings, and pink, for example? Like, you know, like people have thought I'm a woman based on my Twitter avatar because it's very girly girl flower butterfly, right? Yeah. So. So I'm like I'm like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then you, and that doesn't even include the being mixed race Filipino part. It's like, uh, 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 it, you know what I mean? It's, just, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. And then to yeah. and then to hear someone's attestation almost immediately invalidated. Yeah, in a in an academic text. I just, in an yeah. academic text, yeah, that that was that, really gross. That yeah. I'm going to channel a friend here who I think is very compassionate and just say, I'm not going to say anything about the author. I'm just going to say that just makes me feel really bad. Yeah, mm. that's all. I'm like, yeah. don't know what he was thinking. Don't know what he was out to do. I just feel really I just felt very sad reading that. And okay, Jared, Fiona, Pam, you have to take over because I might be kind by eating Jared, by eating my feelings. How... <laughs> Jared, how are you feeling? What are you thinking? You haven't talked for a um, while. Um well itching of a question. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, this is this is just it's a heavy episode, like like we expected it to be, I guess. Um, I, I well, so the next section is interesting. It's the section 
titled Turn, 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 page 62, where it's talking about the dissolution of the forge and this idea that it's it was to be a, quote, Big Bang producing a constellation of successors, or as if, and then I, I guess this is quoting Ron, as if Lenin really dissolves the dictatorship this time and Stalin never shows up, which is a really uh, sort of rife comparison, I think. And that's that's always been sort of fascinating to me, this idea that the forge was meant to to explode and uh, disseminate itself. Um, I don't know if I have anything interesting to say about it. It's kind of, I think the thing that makes me uh, sort of turn my head to the side is that it shows up right here, like structurally in the book. This is the moment we decided to go here. Yeah, I think um, it's, it's a rhetorical thing that bothers me in this chapter is I think that there is a point that can acknowledge all the things that kind of disappointed us and still like beef, you know, be equitable to the forge or be, you know, illuminating to it. And it's that like, what this seems to want to argue is that like the real world interactions where the forge's theory impacted like people that were marginalized within the already circumscribed space of something like Gen Con, right? Like are the people that often interacted with this or found something that was like meant to, or like capable of appealing to certain sensibilities which is, you know, what I see in the best of Paul Sinej's quote, because I want to try to be kind, but also I think that its placement at best is unfortunate and at worst it is doing everything that's being described. And I think that it's reasonable to assume, you know, whatever. And I think that, like, if you want to say that the best material aspects of the Forge are the way that it interacted and inspired people when the Forge decomposed it's easier to say that the Forge's problem was that it was too narrow. It was incapable of really holding new viewpoints and therefore it had to be blown apart to diffuse and like mm. do this stuff. And this person treats that as an end point rather than like the equivalent to like a fucking, you know, um, like, you know, a flower shedding its seeds, you know, like this is a natural process. And instead, this wants us to feel like it's unnatural that this ended, that, like, we should never forget it, and that also, like, the complaints about it are not as valid as they are, and that is what feels uncomfortable to me, because I think that accepting accountability for the reality of the past can involve making a baseline comparison that says not as bad as the present, while still admitting that, like, there were many flaws, and that acknowledging and addressing flaws in the ways that we do these sorts of things is the only way that you can generate something that like has meaningful participation. And there's my Lenin-esque speech with a lot of stuttering. Well, I mean, it's also uh, the, the prevalent question for me also is how is this in any way relevant to designers from outside of your sphere? Because the yeah. assumption that the forge was such a great thing, right? Uh, was so amazing and has informed so many people and has changed lives and et cetera, et cetera. Um, that might have been the case for North America and for people who are influenced by that, but times have changed and they were changing even after the forge broke apart. So you put it so eloquently when you said that you have to accept the flaws and study them. It's 
I mean, frankly, isn't that not like game design itself? You're supposed to actually like kind of sit back at the work and go like, hmm, what did I do wrong? How can I make sure to avoid that? So if if we all call ourselves game designers and creators, then why are we unable to critique the Forge in the same way? That okay. it is also a product, right? That needs to be studied. That needs to be that needs to be seen fully illuminated, not just pieces of perhaps, maybe, I guess, or uh, it was good for us, period, right? You, we need yeah. to critique that. You know, I didn't see that in the book. Tab, I just want to let go based on what you're saying, because if we're all game designers and should have this mindset, who play tested this book? Yeah. <laughs> like seriously who play tested this book not edited play tested like did you actually play with the thoughts in this book did you think hmm what if i translated this book and okay wait my heart wait my heart no, 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 no. trying to be kind trying to be kind here as i as i pr laugh trying to be kind i am so upset i <sighs> it's hard not to be I will own that this is, uh, Mahar already said it, I will own it also. This is personal for me. This is mm. personal. And, this is so, right? This it's is so, so personal. This is so like, <laughs> this is so like, seriously, like this notion that we have so many friends in the developing world who would love to go to cons, who dream of going to cons. It is such an object of myth that you have immediate social largesse mm-hmm. simply because, for example, and I kid you not, I'm not going to name names, but some people have like modicums of popularity and authority simply because they took pictures with Guy Gax when he was still alive. PR laugh. <laughs> but it's true, right? <laughs> yes. Like, that, is the, that is the extent of power that comes from access like being near someone who's had access is in itself like you need to satisfy yourself with the proxy experiences of others that is how painful it is that's like that's how thin the crumbs are and to say that the identity was not real but if you went to this other place, you'd have seen the best of. I'm just kind of like, but that's not what was accessible to us. It just isn't. Even if you give other online spaces, if the other online spaces carry the same character as this place, yep. which yep. might have been problematic, which is why you had to caveat that that was not the best of it. This was the actual best. It still mm. means settling for crumbs. It is so. It is so America centric. It really just is. Oh. It's also very exceptionalist. Many of the many of the sections are very exceptionalist, it's and that like... is a bias that, uh, unfortunately, the author, despite their attempt at being critical, they did not. He was not capable of establishing what we were talking about in the beginning that that necessary context that that positionality, that the the expertise, the point of view, everything. Because at least if you establish that, then the people who are reading your text, especially the other critics and academics, will go, oh, okay, 
because he's like X and Y, perhaps he might have blind spots in the following areas. So they'll be able to read it critically, which would have created more conversations and given the actual inherent value to the text that the text wants, because you're able to create the, I have to say, the discourse, right? So that dreaded no. word <laughs> you, know, you know honestly aside if i ever had to be a super villain i'm going to codename myself discourse i and want my, to i want to do that and my Me. power and my power would be the power to start arguments <laughs> <laughs> like, like psychic dissolution it is the villain discourse just an aside because We're actually just the like, ah! oh my god, uh. discourse. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh my gosh, could we could we have a super villain team, and then our other code names are like, "Hi, who are your? What's we are discourse? I am Panopticon." <laughs> <laughs> no, we have to be Hideo Kojima nerd names, so it has to be like animal. <gasps> Theoretical concepts, you have to be like Pangolin Panopticon. <laughs> oh my god. They're like, can we all just be like, can we just all be like horrible Fokodian terms? Can you be like, I'm Panopticon, I'm Jouissance. Oh, oh. I'm, I'm Jaguar Jouissance. I'm, I'm... Yeah, could you imagine? And then in the last two members, I'm Discipline, I'm Punish. I take Punish. <laughs> Discipline and punish have to be like Wonder Twin style. Yes, I'm okay with you that. You know, like they, they, they put their fists together and become really fists. <laughs> like, whatever works. Why are we nerding over this? Like- <laughs> <laughs> this episode's so freaking heavy. It's like, this is what we're reduced to. Like, this is such a sad episode. I'm so not I'm sorry. This is us trying to be kind. I'm like, it's just, just like, okay, that's how it is. Okay, now, you know what? Like, mm. what if we all became villains? Like, for a second, we're all sad. There's, there's, you know, groups that have more resources, and we could just put on like you know some latex costumes and steel which i think is also just attending color oh boy you see this is sincerely why i think i'm going to die early (laughs) it's like and this is the this is your quality of life right here you will you will just like read a book and in the throes of real life despair and academic like hem, hemming and hawing let's just be a super villain academic team let's just that's it like like when the kindness ends discourse begins and that that can be like our villain catchphrase perfect <laughs> um. Well, on that note, (laughs) uh, we we did mercifully reach the end of the chapter. So that's good. Uh, I would would just like to thank Pam for all of your input. Yes. Thank you so much, Pam. Thank you, Pam. (laughs) You're welcome. You had to slog through. That was just one chapter, y'all. That was just one chapter. That was one chapter. 
trying to be kind, that was the worst chapter, I think. A hundred. A hundred, yeah. Of like, all the chapters in the book, you mean Fiona? I I think I read a couple ahead, and yeah, that one was just particularly, like... That was brutal. That one was... Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's why you get... Go forth, Discourse! Activate Discourse. This is why you pay a sensitivity editor who is willing to, like, tell you that you need to work harder on something, not because you're wrong in, in itself, but because there is more work to make a point, or to qualify a point, or more caveats you need, before you just come across as being dismissive, like, at a bare minimum. Now, but, I think of all of our minions as sensitivity editors. Could you imagine, like, an army of sensitivity editors, and then you have, like, you're sending them out to the world. You know what? I think this is a game, to be honest. I think this is a game. No, don't make me write it. I think we need to write a game. Oh, no. I think we need to call it, you know, like, Panopti. I like, like, I think we need to call it Panopti, then then Co. Like, Panopti Co. Like, company. And it's going to be a company of, like, the dread, you know, like you know, of superheroes who are dreading like discursive practices, and then the whole notion of the game is to discover that you might think you're a hero, but it turns out you're a villain. I think that would be an amazing game. <laughs>